Welcome to The Realities of Race, a show that is dedicated to normalizing discussion around race and racism within our society by amplifying the voices of people of color. I'm your host, Abby Stoa. I'm also a Chinese American, and with that, have experienced and witnessed what it's like to be a racial minority in the U.S. My hope is with this podcast, people can use this as a tool to not only learn more about race, but learn how to be an ally to those of color. Each episode brings a new guest with a unique background and a fresh discussion or interview concerning topics in which race plays a role. So if any of this sounds interesting, make sure to stick around. Welcome to episode two of The Realities of Race. In this episode, I'm joined by Sophia Kaur, an inner city Baltimore middle school teacher, and we talk everything race in education, specifically about how educators can be an ally to those of color. I learned a lot from this conversation, and I think you will too. So without further ado, here is episode two of The Realities of Race. I'm joined now by Sophia. Sophia, thank you so much for willing to come on and talk about race in education. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Abby, for having me. Anytime, anytime. So I really just wanted to use this episode as a way for people to hear more about race and education. I feel like it's something that's not talked about that much. But now during this time, a lot of people, specifically educators, I feel like are trying to learn more about race and how to kind of appropriately infuse that into their lessons and talk about race and education. So I really just wanted to use this episode to pick your brain a little bit learn a little bit more about your perspective with race in education. But before we get to that, I really want the audience to know more about you. So with that, um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you identify racially and culturally, where you grew up, where you attended college, and kind of what you're up to now? Yes, absolutely. I am from Minnesota. I was raised in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, um, Egan and Apple Valley. I identify as Chinese American, specifically with Hong Kong, which is where my parents are from. Um, so I think that's always interesting to see that term Chinese, but actually feel like I am from Hong Kong. Um, but um, that being said, um, there were only a few other Asian people like from my schools. Um, and I think you and I can relate because we grew up in the same school district. Which I always felt like I was pulled from many different directions. You know, my family um, was full of culture and we had a bunch of Chinese traditions. We spoke Cantonese at home um, and English and we would, you know, um, do all like the Chinese New Year fun things and eat amazing food. But at school, I had mostly white friends and I didn't realize until I got to college like that who you who your friends are growing up with or, or deeply affects you it's, it's pretty crazy <laughs> uh, yeah could you kind of talk a little bit about your college experience as a person of color and how that was and where you went and how you think that affected your education in regards to your race as well Yes, absolutely. I went to St. Olaf College um, and I definitely embraced my identity more. I think in middle school and high school, um, because I was surrounded with so many students who were white and I faced racism in middle school, I, I just like didn't understand like who I was in terms of my race and identity. Um, but 
when I got to college, I began to learn Mandarin. I majored in Asian studies. I studied abroad in China. I went to Taiwan. And those are things that I just never wanted in high school or in middle school. Like my father always encouraged me to learn Mandarin, but I never wanted to. And looking back, I'm just like, that was so dumb because I don't know that like all these opportunities opened up once I did learn Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So can you uh, just tell me a little bit about what you're up to now kind of after or what you did after college kind of with your career and your path and then what you're up to now? Yeah, so after well, during college, I think I need to talk about like the, my study abroad experiences. I think going to China, going to Taiwan, going to Hong Kong was like a really big deal for me. And um, it was like really emotional. Like my father had passed away when I was 18 and I had still not gone to Asia then. So like going back to my roots was very emotional. And to like be surrounded by people who look like me every day was just this huge phenomenon. I like I wasn't the minority anymore. Um Everywhere around me was like a different language, different food, different culture. Um, so that was a huge deal. So um, after college, I spent two years in Taiwan. Um, I did Fulbright and then I loved it so much. I love Taiwan so much that um, I wanted to stay another year. Um, but I was just missing something. I knew that I really wanted to be in education. I knew I wanted to be a teacher, but I just didn't want to do that in an abroad setting. So I decided to go to Baltimore and that's where I've been ever since. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So it, so you were a Fulbright, that's like a fellowship kind of, right? Can you explain a little bit about what that is and kind of how you think that shaped you as an educator? Absolutely. There are two different Fulbrights that you can receive or apply for. One is like a um, more of like a scholarship where you go and study and really focus on a certain skill or um, topic. Uh, the other one is an English teaching assistant uh, scholarship where you um, get to go teach in whatever. It could be elementary, it could be middle school, it could be high school, it could be college students. Um, but basically you are teaching English to a group of students. Every country is super different. So um, Taiwan was amazing. I was actually on this little island called Kimmin, which is close to the China, ironically, then Taiwan. Um, but it was like a real rural area. Um, and I just learned a lot about the community there. It was a really beautiful experience. Wow. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that and sharing about you personally, because I know, especially as a person of color, it's very like to be vulnerable is very challenging sometimes. So I really appreciate you sharing all that. Um, and just kind of thinking about kind of where you started and where you are now, why do you think um, you chose Baltimore to, to teach in? I was looking for a program that w I was looking for an alternative program. Um, I didn't major in education when I was in college and undergrad. And so I was looking for a way to like get into the classroom right away, um, but to also um, get a master's degree at the same time. And so um, the program that I did called Urban Teachers was this like program that allowed both <laughs> teaching and um, a master's degree. Um, it's a four-year program. Um, and I feel like it's taught me a lot about what it's like to be a teacher in an urban setting. Wow, very cool. So 
do you think so do you think urban teachers has kind of changed the way that you view education as a whole not even with like the the urban aspect but just in general and how you approach certain discussions and topics yeah I mean like I didn't know enough about education till I got here right like after college I didn't really understand like the the systems I didn't understand the policies and the practices and the curriculums you know until I actually came to Baltimore and really um just jumped into this program and jumped into the classroom I think um, Abby, as you would know, like being a teacher and having that experience is the best way to learn, right? Yeah, it's um, definitely. Right? So I feel like I didn't really understand what was like all the intricacies, all the complexities of education until I actually got to Baltimore. And I think being in an urban setting and being like a teacher in an urban setting is just you learn about so many just like very, very complicated issues that like currently exist in our educational system. And it's sometimes very frustrating. Yeah, definitely. And do you think how you identify racially has impacted who you are as an educator or uh, shifted the way that you approach certain things? Or do you think that you would have kind of been the same way if you, if you weren't Chinese American? I think race plays a big role in how we identify and educate our students, even though maybe it shouldn't. Um, I think right now there are about two percent of the to- like of all the teachers in America are Asian. <laughs> That's like a small amount, and specifically in Baltimore, where a lot of um, where there isn't a huge Asian population. Um, it's very, very rare to see a person that looks like me on the streets or even in a classroom. So, yeah, it definitely has impacted like me as an educator, but also my students as well. Um, in terms of cultural aspects, like I love teaching my students about Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year, and just like all the things that you know our culture has to offer. Um, but it's also important for my students to see a person that looks like me and interact with a person like me because most of my students are from Latin America or they are Black. And the students who are immigrants have maybe never even talked to an Asian person before. So it's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> so I'm like hoping, this is what I'm hoping, you know, that like if I can be a role model for them if I can be someone that they can trust and respect like when they meet another Asian person like all of these barriers will already be broken and like they will be able to connect to them more easily yeah definitely definitely so do you think with that kind of talking about race and education how that plays a role do you think that it is important to have conversations about race and race related events um, and if so, why or why not? Or what do you, what's your take on that? I would say, girl, yes, 100%. <laughs> it's so, so important. And I guess, like, how can you not? Like, these are things that are impacting our students every day, impacting us every day. And to, like, not address it would be a disservice, like, to our children, no matter what race they are, whether, you know, no matter what race they are, like, we want our next generation to be leaders we want them to be knowledgeable to like have had exposure and understanding of different people whether that be like in person or through text like literature and novels and videos 
Um, so like, and if we can't do that, like we are keeping them in the dark and that's just so it's a, it's a disservice. Um, so we can't have them be ignorant. We can't have them be naive and like closed off. So like, um, think about like how a relationship works, right? So if in order for someone to really understand a person, they really have to create that relationship and connection with them and they need that intimacy. So, um, like when I teach them about my own culture, like, and I tell them what my life was like growing up, like, um, and I show genuine care and love for my students. Like, I hope that like eventually that will, (laughs) they will be able to produce the same characteristics as well. Something I find interesting, especially being in a school district that is predominantly white with teachers who are predominantly white. What advice would you give educators who are in a district where their students are predominantly white? Because I feel like a lot of the times educators are, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but they feel kind of underprepared to have those conversations or they don't really know what to what to say exactly. What would you say to that? I would tell them that their job to have those conversations, conversations about race is like even more important, you know, because we live in a white dominated world, like where everything is surrounded by whiteness and is like white is power. Um, Like to have that conversation with them is, is even more important so they can understand their role in society so they can understand how their white privilege plays a role in our communities that are full of color, you know? So yeah. Definitely, <laughs> they need to have those conversations. Yeah. So, do you think what um, if you could talk a little bit, a little more? So, I know a couple weeks ago we were talking about how the U.S. Capitol was rioted, and you kind of mentioned how you bring up those discussions with your students. Can you walk us through a little bit about how you go about that? Because I feel like, obviously, with any events related to race or white supremacy or white privilege or anything like that, like it's hard to just dive in I feel like so how would you recommend going about those discussions and conversations with students I would say the most important thing is to have built a relationship beforehand um, with your students so like (laughs) on the first day of school I wouldn't suggest going straight into like those really tough conversations because you want your students to trust you you know you want your students to understand that you are there to like provide them real information to um, like provide them leadership. And if they don't have that respect and trust for you, like the, the conversation can be very dishonest and it can be, it can actually backfire, I think. And it could cause your students to like feel like it is not a safe space. So I would say the most important thing before you have those conversations is to build that relationship and build that safe space with your students. Okay. Okay. And do you think it's, cause I know some, I should, I guess I can't speak for educators, but I feel like I'm assuming or kind of inferring that some educators don't want to have certain conversations about race because they don't think it's, it's their place. For example, mm-hmm. like if you're a, a social studies teacher and an event happens, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, perfect. This is what I'm going to bring into my lesson. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, a science teacher how would you recommend or if you even recommend kind of having that discussion and if so kind of how you would go about that that's a great question um first i think like we're all humans so like and we all are impacted emotionally by like what happened for example like so 
the rides in the capital, right? Like we are all impacted by that. And to like your students want to see you as a human being, like to not address that, like is dehumanizing to yourself. Like you want your students to know that like you are there for them. And whether you teach science, whether you teach social studies, whether you teach ELA, like it is super, super important to have those discussions because they need to know that like you are there to support them, like no matter what, that's like our job as teachers, you know? And I know like we have a pressure to get through our curriculum. I think that's like one of the most like frustrating things as a teacher. Like that's our focus. But like you can still find ways to bring up race as a scientist, as a mathematician, you know, like who can we celebrate that is connected to our subject? So I don't, I think shying away from those topics is um, certainly a, how do I say this? I don't think it's good for our students. I think they do need to have a place to speak because like, who else can they go to sometimes? Sometimes nobody. So yeah, having those spaces are really important. Yeah, definitely. And would you say, I know we're kind of talking about, you know, discussions with race, but I think right now it's it's very, very critical, especially with everything that's gone in in this past month. Do you think kind of an educator setting the parameters? Because I think some teachers, as I said before, are afraid that their students are going to blurt something that's immature or racist or something that's obviously not right. And I think they're timid to have those conversations because they're worried about their students' reactions. What would you, what would you recommend for that? I think you, like, as a teacher, you are the adult and we need to provide certain, like you said, parameters. We need to create those norms and expectations of a conversation, right? Like, we shouldn't be hurting other people with our words, but we should be learning and we should be having these conversations in order to get multiple perspectives. Um, as a teacher, it's I, what I like to do is provide them a space to talk Um like in a judgment-free zone and we always tell our students to like think before they speak like are your words going to hurt another person if they are like maybe that's not the thing to say right now um and to have questions right we are curious people like we are curious human beings so like why not ask those questions um but as an educator like when something like that happens like something mean happens in the classroom I always think it's our role to protect our students. And so if there is judgment, if there is biases, discrimination, then it's our job to step up and tell them what's right and what's wrong. Um, but that being said, we want to do, we want to provide them a space that is not biased and a place where they can think and for themselves and not have us think for them. So I think that's always a hard balance as an educator. So, okay. So specifically with, discussions and specifically having discussions in which there are students of color. Do you think that there's something that educators misunderstand or misinterpret about their students of color? Do you mean in what type of environment, for example, like if I'm a teacher in a space that is dominated mostly by students who are white or predominantly students of color? Um, That's a good question. In a setting where it's a, uh, their students are predominantly white. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I think that if you are in a space that 
is predominantly white and you do have students of color, like they cannot be your, they cannot be the speakers of all of, they cannot be the person who speaks for their whole race on behalf of their whole race does that make sense like a lot of the pressure because if you are a white educator and you are talking about something that is dealing with race um like for example like black history slavery you know like you cannot be calling on the student that is black to be answering and I think what happens is there's this misinterpretation where you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. So you automatically allow them to speak, but they don't want to be maybe, maybe some of them, but like, I think a lot of students don't want to be pointed out for their race, you know? Um, yeah. That is super insensitive. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think? Um, Cause I know there's obviously a difference between being culturally responsive in curriculum, but then also tokenizing students of kind of what you said, like, okay, there's a black student, we're talking about Black History Month, I'm going I'm to call on them, which is probably not the greatest move, as you said, but what do you think the balance is between kind of celebrating in a predominantly white classroom, being able to celebrate the diversity of a few students, but also not tokenizing them being like, okay, you're the speaker for all of your race? Yeah, um, I think as educators, you know, we are not the expert in everything, you know? Um, So why not reach out to people in the community or people who can be the experts in those certain topics? You know, why not? We have a plethora of resources we have like around us, you know, Um, why not find someone in the community who is focused on that topic that can speak for you, you know? Um, Because there are just some times where you cannot explain the experiences of what that person went through so why not allow a space for a person who has experienced that to tell their story um and maybe even giving the opportunity for students if they wanted to but i would say yeah we're not experts in everything and we don't have to be you know yeah definitely so in your overall opinion what do you think in your mind like what does it look like to have an anti-racist classroom or be anti-racist in the classroom I feel like during this time a lot of educators specifically are really looking into you know being more accepting and celebrating the diversity but they don't really know where to start or their district even prohibits them like at my school district uh, teachers were not allowed to hang Black Lives Matter signs Mm. so you know that that's obviously kind of a barrier so with that how in what ways can teachers be anti-racist in the classroom, even if they don't have those resources or aren't allowed to display that, I guess? Being anti-racist comes in many forms. Um, and I think like one of the biggest things that everyone needs to understand is that our current school systems and practices were not made for students of color. You know, like, like in in our schools, like when I was becoming a teacher, like they tell us that all the students are not the same. So all students learn differently. So we have to teach differently. But like, if that's the truth, then why do all of our policies and systems look so similar, you know, in every single city? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like, it's like, it blows my mind because it doesn't make sense. Um, and it's, it's, it's sad to hear that, you know, your teachers aren't allowed to, um, to, 
put up BLM posters um, and to support students who um, need that support, you know? So it's hard because it's not just in the classroom, it's like the whole system in general. It's the, it's the administration, it's the district, it's the, uh, it's the superintendent, it's our, it's our government, you know? So it's- Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think as an educator, like being anti-racist means showing love for our students. And of course, love comes in like so many different ways. And like, um, but for me, like to love is to like fight for my students, to like support them when they need it, um, to provide them the necessary tools and information so they can become leaders and fighters themselves. Um, and I hope that's something that your teachers are doing for you. Um, even if they cannot, you know, show their support in certain ways, but maybe they can do that in curriculum and do that in um, whatever they teach you. But, you know, like it's to provide them enough information so they can go out into the world later and help them understand the racist systems that impact them every single day. Um, I tell my students all the time that their voice carries power. And like, because of that, we all have a responsibility to make this world a better place. Um, So for me, that's what anti-racism teaching looks like. And I know like a lot of people um, have different ideas and theories about it, but it's all about love. It's all about reflection for myself. You know, like before I came became a teacher, like there were a lot of biases that I didn't understand that I had. You know, there was a lot of privilege that I did not understand that I had. And so it takes a lot of re-examining. It takes a lot of like, checking my own biases and it takes a lot of practicing humility um to like really work on anti-racism but man it's 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 a process that doesn't just come overnight you know yeah so what advice would you or can you kind of explain what kind of like processes you've used to kind of like check yourself and become anti-racist in the classroom because obviously you said it's it's more of a, a process so were there kind of just discoveries that you made over time that helped you become more anti-racist in the classroom or were there like specific things that you, you did? I would say there are a lot of different things that kind of like blended together to help me really understand my role as an educator in like a specifically an urban setting. Um, one is reading, you know, tons of information out there, reading Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, reading, um, how to be an anti-racist, you know, just all this, all this literature out there that is really important for educate educators um, in an urban setting. So one, reading and learning, right? Um, two, making mistakes. I think that's really hard because did my mistakes impact students in a negative way? I hope not. But like, once you're able to realize that, wow, that probably wasn't the best thing for your student, you check, you check yourself and you reassess and you're like, how can I do better? Um, and I think it also depends on who you surround yourself with. You know, are your friends anti-racist? Are your friends working to be better? Are your teacher friends trying to be the best teacher that they can be, even though they are white, you know? So like, I don't know, just pulling from multiple um, resources and multiple perspectives was really, really important. And I'm still working on it, you know? I think all of us are. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Sophia, for joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure. It's always it's always great talking to you. And I feel like every single time we talk, I like I learned something new. So thank you so much. Uh, and I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Abby. It was a pleasure. And that was episode two of the Realities of Race. 
A big thanks to Sophia for joining me and a big thanks to you for listening. While I don't know what the next episode brings, I know it will be more of a discussion-based episode and should be out in the next couple of weeks. For now, thank you for listening. Keep rocking it like you probably are, and I'll see you next time.